Hi there, this is Jules. If you would like to watch this episode on video, please go to my show page, which is loaradionetwork.com forward slash Jules. That's J-E-W-E-L-S to see the last two videos. All videos and radio shows were completed in absolute love just for you. So please enjoy. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. The secret to well-being is discovering the power that is your birthright. The power to create a happier, healthier life drawn from our own vast internal resources. Join Jules and her guests as they gently guide you to shift your perspective from the familiar negative to the divinely connected. A place that will not only positively impact your world, but possibly shift the planet. It's all right here on Law of Attraction Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I'm Jules from beautiful La Quinta, California, right smack in the desert, right next to Palm Springs. I am loving it out here. And I've got to tell you, I am loving today's show because it's going to be magnificent. We have got Cliff High with us. And if you haven't seen him yet on YouTube videos, he's being interviewed by everyone on a daily basis because this rather brilliant man developed the formula for logistics, for, for words being read by computer bots in order to determine what the mass consciousness is thinking. And it's absolutely brilliant. He can use this to predict things that will happen in the future. So this is amazing and something right up my alley because as you know, I talk about the collective consciousness all the time. As, and I think it's the most powerful way to create everything that we need in life. So I am so excited to talk with him and I have lots of questions. Many people may not realize that on top of him being considered to be one of the smartest men in the world, He's also a shaman. So he's got that metaphysics behind him. And uh, it's really amazing. I caught it once that he was talking about the law of attraction. I thought, oh my goodness, this is the perfect excuse to have him on my show. And I'm so delighted. I think you're really, really going to be impressed by what we come out with today. Um, it's not so much about the economy, which he normally talks about, but it is about what kind of power we actually possess individually and collectively. So we're, we're going to really be diving in on this. I am so glad you're with me. So I want you to sit back, relax, just dive into this heavy duty conversation. And um, we'll be right back with Mr. Cliff High, right after these words. It's here. It's hot. And it's a must read. It's the science behind the Law of Attraction magazine. Every issue brings you great articles and in-depth how-tos from all your favorite Law of Attraction experts, authors, 
scientists, and medical professionals. Go to lawofattractionmagazine.net. That's lawofattractionmagazine.net. Well, welcome Cliff High to Law of Attraction Talk Radio. I am so excited about this show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Uh, Nice of you to ask. Uh, What's amazing is that you are known as one of the smartest men in the world. And yeah, you, that's kind of silly, but yeah. Well, I don't think so, because I think you've shown me in all of the videos that I've seen you talk about your techniques. It's pretty amazing. But I wanted to go back into another area, because you said that you do not have any degrees. That's correct, yeah. So you haven't been indoctrinated. Uh, well, no, that's not true because I was a military, I was a military brat. So for 17 years, I lived, um, you know, my formative years in the belly of the beast, so to speak. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. But you're also a shaman. I heard you say that. Yeah, that that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but that's a matter of, um, uh, genetics, uh, not, uh, uh, so such people don't, uh, uh, choose to do that. We do that out of necessity. Ah, I, I can explain in depth if you want, but it's um, so a lot of people sort of try and and do that as a uh, a living. Right. And uh, okay, uh, but there are people like myself that have no choice for that because it's genetic in us. And so um, I I can ex- I can speak from experience as um, as my particular genetics, and there are other kind of genetics uh, that also force people into that kind of work. And so in my particular case, I'm what's known as a schizotypical. Now, a schizotypical is someone who is the sibling of a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, of a um, fully-fledged uh, paranoid schizophrenic. Now, this means that um, <clears throat> that I also share that that gene pool, but that the epigenetics never actually triggered it in me or triggered it to a lesser degree than my than my brother. And so, um, if you go and look on YouTube and you uh, uh, hunt out Stanford, as in Stanford University, yeah. and look up this fellow uh, Robert uh, Sapolsky, a professor there, uh, he has a couple of hour lecture which he. Um, uh, entitled um, The Biological Underpinnings of Religiosity. And if you check that out, for the first 10 or 15 minutes is all that's required. He goes into what really is the basis of religion within the human species. And it comes down to those people that are like myself that are schizotypicals. So in other words, Moses was probably a schizotypical. And and we all share certain common traits that in African society or tribal societies all over, and he references many tribal societies where this is the case, the, um, the paranoid schizophrenic is pushed out of the social order. They're isolated. Now, I know why this is. He doesn't speak to that, but it's because paranoid schizophrenics have a uh, hormone in their skin that makes people nervous when they sweat. When the paranoid schizophrenic sweats, it makes people um, anxious and, and unsettled because of the hormone coming in. And so the, um, uh, in, in rural societies, paranoid schizophrenics, and even all over, paranoid schizophrenics that are fully um, uh, involved in it are, are shunned um, because they hear voices continuously. <clears throat> now, Robert Sapolsky goes on to say that the schizotypical 
is is not shunned and in fact usually does very well in the social orders because they hear voices when appropriate <laughs> so so I am one of those people and uh, it's not like I hear voices or, or any of those sorts of things, but it is just a metaphor for a way of thinking. And so you find that true shaman share certain genetic characteristics, and they're basically forced into it because the uh, nature of their interaction with the rest of the social order, that is to say people that are not schizotypical, um, is less than comfortable so we're sort of self-isolating but not as bad as as real schizophrenics and this kind of a thing it also has a tendency uh the schizophrenic gene when activated uh to any degree has a tendency to twist your thinking a bit and uh present you with the ability to see the reality the way that it presents itself rather than project our um uh wants wishes and desires upon it and delude ourselves so so in that sense, now uh, a shaman is another word for a guru, uh, which is right. another word, another word for curandero, uh, in the Mexican uh, or in the Mesoamerican social order. And there's something about people like myself. Um, we're not nice people. A guru is not a nice fellow because uh, the function of a guru or a shaman is not in any way to appease your. Uh, understanding of reality it's actually to walk you on walk on up and slap you in the face and point out the reality that's about ready to bite you <laughs> that's and, you and that's you that's me exactly <laughs> and so when i do that it's done with as much love as i possibly can because i'm doing it to get your attention point out that that alligator truly is going to bite you because i i'm able to speak alligator so to speak and i see that that is is you know got his eyes fixated on your butt and so maybe you should pay attention <laughs> but but there's also this, you know, you can't tell people things, right? right? You can't insist on this in the shaman world. So, so it's a it's a difficult, you know, uh, trail to follow. Uh, and as I say, I'm there because I was forced into it by my genetics. Well, and and actually, I'm grateful that you were forced into it because the information that you're providing for everyone is invaluable. So, I'm really grateful that well, you're I, like that. Yeah, thank you for that. And and it's I'm grateful that it's not wasted. Okay, mm -hmm. that in other words, universe had a purpose for me, and I'm fulfilling it, its purpose as best I can. And as a result of that, I get some feedback that says uh, from universe, as you just did, that hey, you know, you're doing an okay job. This is this is what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> you are doing a really great job. So I want you to tell all of the listeners who may not know about you yet. Um, the formula that you devised with words and the computer bots and the predictive qualities that you are coming up with. I mean, you were the one who came out and said, look, Trump's going to win. And, yeah. Oh, that was, and it, yeah. it was like and, a landslide and you were absolutely right on target. It's because of the linguistics, and and basically here's here's the uh, functioning premise. Okay, uh -huh. uh, the functioning premise is that uh, all humans are psychic. Uh, I can prove this so many ways that I don't even bother anymore. If you don't understand that, I don't have time to discuss it with you. You need to go and get a little bit educated. So all humans are dis are, are psychic, but the vast majority of humans deny they're psychic and they're not aware they're psychic, but the psychicness will leak out. And what my system does is to track that within their choices of words. And so here's something I discovered when I was doing some work on big computer systems. I discovered that people uh, 
are creatures of habit to a degree that informs and shapes their language and its use of, thereof. So as English-speaking people, uh, we might have 120,000 English words internalized. We know the meaning of them. We feel reasonably comfortable using them. We feel we've pronounced them correctly and don't have any um, problems saying them in a social uh, setting. And so, uh, but... That 120,000 words, really, if you look at what we use, we might only use 20,000 of those words in a year. And in any given week, we might really restrict ourselves to about only 1,200. Wow. Now, that that I noticed. I, I discovered this as doing this work for the phone companies and this kind of thing uh, on big data systems. It became necessary for me to examine language and some of its use patterns in a way that linguists did not. So... Um, one of the things I discovered was that there were there was a continuing um, uh, unpredictable frequent but irregular alteration of these otherwise very steady patterns. Now you could see, for instance, just as a diversion here, you could see from a computing viewpoint if um, they discovered that almost everybody in their organization only used uh, a total of three thousand words in a in a week. Uh, they could really speed up their email um, and other things by just simply digitizing those 3,000 words and making them uh, the appropriate choices, etc. And that was kind of where they were after uh, with this particular project. In any event, though, what's not feasible, and the reason it's not feasible turns out, in my opinion, to be this psychic leak stuff, right? So you're going along, you're typing in your, your usual uh, dog lovers or cat lovers or, you know, gardening lovers forum, and um, you're talking about the usual stuff, and you talked about it last week, you talked about it a week ago, a, uh, uh, the same week a year ago, and you're using pretty much the same language, only this week you use some slightly different words. And I wanted to know at that level why. What were what was it that was prompting these these uh, the use of these six new words in that particular conversation that you've had forever that you enjoy having and that you're going to continue having and it turned out that that uh, what in my estimation was going on was that these psychic leaks were coming on out and they had to express themselves that particular kind of stuff works its way through the linguistic center of the mind and so it sort of fell out falls out of your fingertips and i'm able to scoop it all up because my software uh which was laboriously written over the course of many years uh, and involves hundreds of executable programs, uh, is able to sift uh, language to the degree that it knows that these words that are being used in this context are unusual. So it grabs them all up for me, brings them back, I shove them into a big database and root around and tie them into this lexicon that I've got, which uh, I've taken all the words in the English language and a lot of other languages and tied emotions to these words at a... Um, uh, uh, numeric level so that I can add the emotions or subtract them, if you will. So I can do math on it. And as a result of that, I was able to come up with a few algorithms that are able to detect emotional shifts in large ways that I can then feed back into the data set that I've gotten and extract out words that fit the way in which the math is directing me and we get the predictions that I've got, the forecasts, which are at least 50% accurate. At least half of the stuff shows up and so that's twice as good as chance should allow. Yeah, exactly. And I think to your point, um, HeartMath did a study also with algorithm and they found that people actually felt the anxiety 15 minutes before 9-11 actually happened. So they were tied into this 
feeling of tenseness from what heart math has been demonstrating. So you're right on target, of course. Right. Well, this is also um, a um, component of uh, basically, well, the the uh, field you're in, and so uh, this I, humans are are um, uh, predictive machines. Uh, biologically, we want to continuously predict the future. Uh, everything from you know, what does my nose tell me that the cook is preparing for dinner, uh, even though I can't see it, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, to the uh, psychic relationships with uh, the pets. Oh, I'm gonna come on home, and so I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about uh, taking the dog for a walk, and of course the dog feels that and responds. So all of these things are all interconnected at a very um, discernible. Uh, discussable scientific level. So, it, it, as I say, it makes sense. Um, you know, the uh, prediction uh, of especially major impending events um, is a it's an it's a, um, an unbidden component of the genetics that are shared by um, uh, schizotypicals and paranoid schizophrenics. That's actually what makes them paranoid. Is a big component of that is their their uh, g- genetics cause them to vibrate to frequencies so continuously they just can't take it and so the mind has to shut down in order to um, allow them to to be able to filter in something Um, uh, schizotypicals we have a little bit better control Uh, I have a good deal of control because of the life path I've taken in the many years I've put into um, meditation and martial arts so uh, and also analysis of it all, which really helps. And so, as you, back to your point about the feeling it a, a few minutes early. Um, so, if you were in that region and you felt that and you were aware of that, imagine what it's like for all of humanity feeling very large events such as you know the pending ice age or you know solar disruptions, this kind of thing. That that causes very major levels of disruptions through humanity as though it were a single organism. And, and really, that's the zeitgeist or the gestalt that everybody is trying to um, uh, capture in, in in various forms for their individual um, uh, fun and profit, you know, like pollsters and advertisers, this kind of thing. Yeah, interesting. So let's then shift into the law of attraction. And because we are, as humans, we have the psychic ability which we have not really developed to the biggest level that it could be. What, what is the law of attraction to you? That is one of the components of what I'm calling consciousness science or consciousness field. Okay. And, and it's one of the active dynamic components of it. Um, I can give you a, a couple of different explanations that are all valid about how it actually functions both in close proximity and at a great distance uh, it's a um, uh, um, we can call it a mechanism okay we're not dealing with machines but but I don't have an, an adequate term for that because I don't want to use a word like art or but it's a let's call it a mechanism um, a dynamic organic mechanism and here's here's an uh, a, a factual a mechanism by which that works in close proximity. Okay, so there's these things called uh, micro RNA. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me let me back up a little bit. Um, our mental structure, how we feel at any given moment, is uh, greatly determined by our, by the strength and uh, quality of our gut biome. 
this is an up-and-coming medical science all over the planet, except for mostly here in the U.S., and we're sort of starting to catch up on it. But basically, it comes down to the idea that autism, ADHD, or ADHD, all of these kind of things, are greatly affected by how well your gut's doing. And the reason that that is, is going on is because of communication within the bacteria in what's known as a biome. And a biome is all of these little different types of bacteria that all get together, and they all work within the lining of your stomach. And they support each other in their task and support you in your task. And so, for instance, your gut biome is in charge of, of or doesn't isn't in charge. It produces up to eighty percent of the serotonin in your system at any given time. Serotonin being the mental health. Right. Um, uh, chemicals you need. So the gut biome is actually different organisms that that recognize that have their own colonies, and those colonies are all intercooperating in making you, the human, a healthy human if you've got a good, healthy gut biome. And so now we know because of um, many different scientists approaching it from different uh, ways how things work when it's organism to organism at a larger macro level. So within you, you have a a metaphor for what we're about to discuss. You have a gut biome where um, uh, bacteria, you know, uh, diffin longins is communicating with something else and providing it with some information in order to trigger off serotonin production because it got a good load of fiber, that kind of thing, where they're all intercommunicating and they're all different Uh, bacteria. Now, we do this among humans. We do this among humans and animals. We do this among humans in all parts of our environment as part of this aspect of the consciousness field. And one of the mechanisms that occurs doesn't have to do with being psychic or anything at all, but at one level may actually be one of the reasons we are psychic. And it has to do with these things called microRNA. Now, a microRNA is not merely a little chunk of a of an RNA strand. RNA is a ribonucleic um, acid. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a it's a subset of DNA, um, uh, deoxyribonucleic acid. Okay, um, and so the RNA they've discovered is actually one of maybe there's many more, but they know for sure that microRNA is like a little trigger or a switch that causes the epigenetic reaction to occur. Uh, so, um, somebody that had uh, paranoid schizophrenic uh, tendencies like myself built into the gene is perfectly normal unless those genes are flipped on. So, in my brother's case, it got flipped on. In my case, it got flipped on partially, maybe. <coughs> Excuse me, it's been very dusty here. Anyway, so, um, the, um, the uh, microRNA is what communicates between organisms. The microRNA communicates at the level of colony of bacteria to other colony as opposed to little bacteria to little bacteria. But each of the bacteria that receive the microRNA take it as a form of communication, respond to it, and then alter their reaction to the environment. It is actually the mechanism that many of the behavioral scientists are looking at as being the mechanism of um, uh, adaptation and evolution to your local environment. And we get these microRNAs everywhere continuously. And we get them uh, in the form of, uh, in in our food, they pass through the gut, and they actually are absorbed by the bacteria within our gut, and so are transmitted through uh, the vagus nerve back up into our brain and cause brain changes within us. So that is a level at which you can respond to the microRNAs of another person and feel that instant chemistry. Uh, Makes sense, right? Right. That's that's the feeling. You also get these things wafting. The microRNA is also uh, communicated in hormones and pheromones. 
<coughs> so, as a result of which, that's where you get that, um, uh, how do I want to say it, uh, that sort of electrifying feeling that is a response to someone else that you're, you're sure is in the room, you're a little bit heightened, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up, that kind of thing, and, and there's some kind of anticipation there without understanding or being able to fixate it on an individual. Right. Now, the, the consciousness, oh, so that's actually a... Um, the, physio- a me- the physical being. Cor- correct. Okay. So that's a physical component of this. Now, um, humans are not just the solid matter. We have many um, envelopes, uh, let's call them atmospheres, uh, around us. These atmospheres are the um, reported energy bodies, and this kind of thing that you see with auras. Hang on a second. <coughs> Just been terrible here for dust. Chemtrails? <laughs> exactly. And I've been out in them. So, um, yeah, exactly. So it's just a real problem. Okay. So, um, in the conscious, uh, field, uh, consciousness science business, it's, it's kind of a, um, it's going to really develop. It's going to be a really cool, uh, new science for a lot of, things because it'll be at the base of uh, some of these field sciences that are going to develop. But consciousness science is deriving a great deal from uh, physics trying to exclude it from experiments. So there are some physics experiments that they know mathematically should produce 26 variables in the outcome. It should be one of 26 options. When they run these experiments for real and you have a human anywhere near it, that probability field that they call it collapses down to four. This experiment, no matter how often they do it, no matter what conditions, if there's a human near it, they'll only get one of four answers. But if they're able to take this experiment, put it into a box, have a a remote switch that's on a timer, that timer is triggered by a magnet that's flipped over accidentally by a hamster doing his wheel, so you have no idea when it's going to occur. Uh, When they do that, then they get that range of the other 22 potential uh, things also showing up. And so they're able to note that it is indeed consciousness that's affecting this. Uh, but they never, they never go on to think about, well, geez, that tells us a whole lot of something maybe we want to go and investigate. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, they're, they're, think, they're trying to exclude it. Same thing with the quantum computer guys um, all around the planet. The quantum people into quantum mechanics are trying to exclude consciousness because it mucks up their, their strangeness. Now, if you look at it the other way, though, and look at what they're trying to exclude, that actually is telling us something about how these mechanisms work. So imagine you're in a situation where you're, um, well, it's sort of like vibes, you know, the term from the 70s, right? And and you go to a a situation where you're in a uh, complex social environment, uh, you know, business, work, um, partying, it doesn't really matter. And you're in that... um, uh, have to interact phase of it all and you're looking around for someone to relate to all of a sudden you'll see someone look back at you right, right. and it's and it's because you looked at them and you recognize that they're looking back at you because you looked at them you're so there is yeah okay but this is also a situation of, of actual touching at a distance with consciousness wow. and 
okay, this is a, and you can prove this to yourself. If you wanted to get some people that were really interested in it and you were going to go have like a bus ride or something, you could sit in the back of the bus and uh, get everybody to focus their attention, just focus their consciousness on someone in the front of the bus who's looking the other way just to see if they'll turn around and sure enough, they do. And and everybody experiences it. You know, you know who's calling before you even see the ID uh, on, the, on the phone, this kind of a deal. Okay, so <clears throat> this is actually the um, active manifestation of that consciousness expression that we see in a more passive state uh, with the physicists trying to keep it out of their experiments. Wow. So it's an actual manifestation. So then, can you clarify a little bit more? The average human being has the power to manifest through the energy around is that not correct or is it correct perfectly correct 100 percent correct so every, we, every human has that potential we have that potential but we don't always exercise it or we get stuck in the fear and and anything else that may prevent us from going or do we manifest no. fear as well there you go that's it see that's part of how universe works is that the uh, if you get stuck in that uh, vibration of um, <clears throat> fear and negativity, then your conscious manifestation of that uh, will reflect that. Um, it's as though you've laid a negativity filter over you and your consciousness has to go through it and it gets polarized by that negativity filter. And that's why, um, well, okay, uh, from a business viewpoint, right, you'd go to some of these meetings, especially all the conferences and stuff, and you see some of these speakers that are smart enough when they come on in two or three hours into the meeting uh, to get everybody up physically, have them do some simple activities, uh, get the blood flowing is what they're saying. But it's also a little bit more than that. It's this level of entrainment to where you're getting everybody's filters polarized to that of the speaker. And what he's attempting to do is make them more receptive, he or she, make them more receptive to the uh, message being put out. And so uh, we do this, though, if you're in a grumbly mood, and people can reinforce that, or people can actually put a grumbling mood on you through your consciousness. And they've done experiments and it, it where you know they'd have college students come on in and uh, either compliment or uh, criticize uh, their test subject. And that test subject later on, unbeknownst to that subject, would then be queried as to how their day went and, and tabulated. And if the people came on in and said, boy, you know, your colors are really off or, you know, you look funny or, you know, what a funny looking uh, 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 shirt you're wearing, that kind of thing, uh, then their day, their, their emotions for the day goes down. It's because of the conscious filter that they're putting on. Oh, oh you know, and I'm sure that everybody's had it where you, you, um, uh, you know, you buy some clothes, they they fit well or, or they look good, you buy them for whatever reason, and then you go to wear them, and you feel uncomfortable right. in them in a way, right? Mm -hmm. And and this can be caused by a number of different factors, but one of those factors is an inbuilt part of your consciousness that's trying to express itself that is um, not harmonious with that particular choice at that particular time. So um, I know people that are that are extremely advanced um, shaman, uh, you know, that uh, literally are, are multimillionaires because they know enough to be able to turn the forces of nature to that when they wanted to. And this one fellow that I've talked to is is that way. Uh, he's probably. 59 or 60 almost now um, and he's been studying it very hard since he was a youngster 
Um, and one of the things he notes is uh, how he's gotten it down to the point where it's not only uh, how he feels in clothes, but how without the expression of his consciousness, the clothes go on in the morning, tells him a lot about what's going to be occurring in his day. And, he, and so he says he has psychic shirts. He's, he's a funny guy. I like him a lot. He's got $500 million. So you can't, oh you can't argue with him. No, you can't. no, I get it. I get it. But okay. But on an individual basis, we are part of that mass consciousness or so are we as powerful individually as we are collectively or all of the things this is what i'm leading up to cliff <laughs> yeah all of the things that you talk about is there any way that we can change the outcomes or can we influence it not to be so devastating through the power of our thoughts collectively. That's really the bottom line. Sure, I understand what you're saying. Let's take it and go back the other way. Okay. Uh, individually, we can certainly, because of control of our own thoughts, make it less daunting on us. We just won't feel as bad, even though the circumstances are unchanged and they might be very challenging. So there's this old Taoist saying that uh, goes along the lines of, uh, to an ordinary man, everything is either a curse or a blessing. And to uh, the sage or, you know, the curandero or whatever, the fellow on the path, um, everything is a challenge. Okay, because you recognize that there's just different challenges in the blessing as opposed to uh, the curse. And essentially, you're there continuously having to deal with it all. So at that level, your thoughts control how you deal with something. And so you can see all curses as a blessing, and that's the first step. And then you see all blessings as a challenge. And then you, and then the third step is to see uh, basically all of life as a, as a challenge at that particular level. It uh, doesn't mean that it's negative or anything. It just means that uh, you have a different appreciation for the energies involved. So, so certainly our own thoughts and our own conscious expression of those thoughts impact how we appreciate and accept the future. Now, collectively, that's also going to uh, work just at a very um, uh, simpatico kind of level. Okay, so... Uh, let's back up to our gut bacteria discussion real quick. Okay. Uh, one of the things, one of the ways that the bacteria uh, communicate in their in the gut is through these microRNAs. They receive them and then they release them. So they get a message and then they may alter the message and send it on to the next group. Another way that they communicate to us as our body, not only with the microRNAs, is what's known as uh, uh, biophotons. Okay. So your body continually produces light uh, constantly. And you can see that's the, the light you see when you close your eyes. You're actually perceiving not false light, uh, but what are known as biophotons. And this is your eyes themselves that are creating uh, these small little uh, particles of light. It is supposed that these biophotons um, are used to write instructions in our DNA and other components of our structure. Uh, the same way that we use light to write instructions on an optical disc with little bursts of light. And so it makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. Now, biophotons are really interesting because they can be um, transmitted. They are continuously transmitted from uh, one organism to all other organisms around it. And uh, this is part of that communication and, and cross-connection level, uh, the actual mechanism 
if we want to use that term, by which you can attract someone's attention by looking at them. You're actually focusing and sending biophotons to them, which they'll receive and want to respond to. And that, that's one of the mechanisms by which this works. <clears throat> now, biophotons are more usually uh, connected with uh, little short bits of um, information carrying within your DNA. But we know from from um, uh, Carillion photography all the way through right. modern different different kinds of photography that we're continuously emitting these biophotons. <coughs> and so the the reaction of, of people at um uh I don't want to use the word unconscious. Everybody uses that word and they say, well, at the unconscious level, and that's real there is no such thing. So I want to use the word um that that is at the uh less than aware. Okay, at the unaware level, we're passing out our feelings in these biophotons. So if you've got a good um, key, if you've got good energy and all that kind of stuff and you go into a room, you can actually make everybody in that room happier and feeling better uh, because you're emitting the biophotons, which they're picking up. It makes their organism feel better and so on. And so there is this spreading effect. Now, we know that this effect exists all throughout nature. And so um, they go and they cut trees in the forest and they come back a year later and the stumps are still there. They're growing new um, uh, sprouting new uh, 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 trees out of them and so on. And the question has always been, how did that stump survive without the uh, total um, yeah. Cambrian rhythm of the and all of this? And well, it turns out that all the trees in the nearby area uh, uh, shift their sugar-sending patterns to send that stump yeah. uh, sugar water through the mycelium that's the fungus that joins all the roots of all the trees. Yeah, we're in we're in big tree country up here, so I know a lot about trees. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so um, uh, that works with humans as well, and so they've actually been able to look at a, um, a biophoton exchange uh, between humans in a, a social environment. But get this, and this wasn't us. This was um, I want to say Hungary. Um, in, in somewhere in Eastern Europe that they did this experiment. But one of the things they had to do was they had to exclude knowledge that the experiment was going on from all the people involved. Because it turned out when the people, their first choice of people involved in there knew they were being experimented on and were, had it all explained to them, they actually were like clamping down on their biophotons and not sending them out in the in their ordinary way because they knew they were being observed. So the consciousness of themselves intruded on the experiment. So they had to get rid of all those people and get in some people and tell them they were doing something else. But they, they examined the the handing of biophotons through people, and it was quite amazing uh, seeing this. Uh, when you see it on the... I don't know if they if it's out on the internet uh, per se because I saw it in a business environment, but it's um, you actually see a, like an infrared sort of a photo... Uh, or a video, and you you see the little sparks going between the people. You don't see the people as other than than dark blobs, and it's absolutely fascinating to watch this go on over the course of a half an hour meeting. Uh, so we see that uh, in terms of you can make people feel better around you, you can get them prepared, and sort of that's kind of like what I'm doing uh, in terms of the nature of my work. Right, the whole thing is I think it'll be a lot more pleasant for me to exist if everybody around me is not running around, you know, excuse the expression, batshit crazy, because of something that's coming or is happening at the moment. Right. Okay, but can we influence that to be more gentle? Yes, we. Yes. Yes, okay, that's, so that's, that can be done. Okay. Um, there's caveats to this, though, okay? So because it's very complex, we have to go into it knowing that we have no idea what the unintended consequences may be from such an attempt. 
uh, and they might be worse. So speaking from a Taoist perspective here, yes, we could all focus our energies together and divert that hurricane and thus save XYZ city from getting a hurricane. But should we? Because maybe uh, we're going to also alter the the changing of the uh, thermal patterns of the planet such that what we just did was not a good thing. And then there's the other level as well. Uh, humans have the consciousness filter, but we're very complex organisms. Right. Uh, we are a consciousness that's in a physical material body. In this physical material body with these uh, envelopes of the psychic uh, levels around us, our energy levels, the auras, and so on, we also have with us what we call karma or karman. It's a little particle that comes to you when you do action. And uh, that's what the word means is action and karma. And um, it's sort of the residual effect of um, uh, a not, not a bad thought, but, a, but an uncompleted thought. And so there will be karmic repercussions to doing so both at an individual level and at a collective level. So, yes, it's certainly is possible and we might even get really good at it. Uh, where maybe all the humans uh, on the planet uh, could focus all their energy and we might be able to turn the moon orange for something, you know, just just as, just as an idea here, right? Um, but uh, should we? <laughs> That's yeah. the question. Should we do this? I'm uncertain about big stuff like that always uh, because I, I see the um, uh, impact of Carmen's at a small level and I know we're building them up at a giant level and that actually forces us to have to deal with things. So um, if you considered the consciousness uh, field idea, then we are uniquely isolated um, conscious um, cells um, of consciousness that are inside physical bodies that are having actions that are collecting uh, karma on those actions. Now we, um, uh, I'll just say it whether it's accepted or not, but we carry the Carmens in a distilled form from life to life. And we carry these with us for a purpose. It's not just to punish us or something, right? It's because we have these unfulfilled thoughts, unfulfilled actions, uh, where we didn't address whatever it was universe wanted us to address. And that's our choice. We don't have to deal with it. You can put it off as many lives as you want. But in doing so, you collect these karmans and you bring it with you from life to life to life and that and that grows over time so maybe the people in that town that was going to be hit by that hurricane needed some of them anyway to be hit by that hurricane in order to cleanse off some of their thoughts their fears yeah, apprehensions who knows what right uh, about dealing with weather i'm just making this a simplistic example now, this is really fascinating, and you're bringing up some great points. So the reason why we came to this planet is to learn and to cleanse ourselves and so that we can go forward. Um, so that we can progress, correct, progress. correct, That's yes. Okay. Yeah. So um, right now, there are millions and millions of people gathering to do meditations, in which they're sending love and peace. Even HeartMap does that to stop the um, the agitation of a disaster, right? And, right, exactly. And so, are you saying that this is may not be in the best interest of people? No, um, 
I'm saying there could be individual cases of that, but it's also, uh, to a certain extent, you have to look at that kind of an activity as a natural consequence of what humans are going to do anyway. So, so let me back up a bit and say that humans are going to meditate. Uh, it's you know used by martial artists all the time, and uh, military gets people to meditate, these sorts of things. So the, just the side effect of the meditation is going to be more release of biophotons, more release of microRNAs, more release of uh, other impacts within the consciousness wave that gets us to a um, more harmonious and uh, relaxed area. Uh, also, the idea of uh, sending um, uh, healing energy, if you will, to someone through that consciousness wave, uh, insofar as I've been able to ascertain, has no karmic blowback. Okay. okay. Even so, there's so there's appears. I mean, you can actually go and, as an aside, you can go and look into the to the Jain religion, J A I N, and there's I can't think of the guy's name. I've got the book here somewhere, but there's this German uh, fellow who's an adherent to that religion that went to the trouble of categorizing uh, karma, uh, the, the individual karma uh, particles, how how it all works and what what it accrues to, and how you basically it's sort of like um, in a video game. It's uh, you know if you do this, you're going to get twenty karmas, but if you do that, you'll only get two. So it's sort of you know where the secrets are. Um, okay, so you can go and look that up. But the the idea of the um, uh, of the impact is a little different. So all the people meditating are going to certainly reduce the uh, amount of agitation. Those people that would specifically meditate with the idea of, of sending out a um, uh, healing energy, I don't really call that meditation. But we'll go into that other in another time. But that particular uh, energy uh, sending has no karmic repercussions because basically what you're doing is you're trying to just say it's okay, it's okay, you know, we're going to help you out here, and you're not attempting to do something in a physical sense of of a manifestation of moving um, the disaster or um, stopping it or whatever. In which case, you would be impacting the collective karma that was involved in all of that. Makes gotcha. sense? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. So what about in this time frame that we're living in right now? There's a lot of angry people. Or am I misreading that there's a lot of them? There's just some of them being angry right now. No, you're correct. Um, uh, it's understandable. It's been going on since the 70s. Uh, it was uh, forecast by this guy, Gurdjieff. Um, who titled it the Sololunius. So, um, um, there's a lot of stuff we need to unlearn as humans. Okay. And, okay, so we need to back up a little bit here, way back. Okay, so let's, let's, let's first off state, let's deal directly with your point. There's a lot of angry people. They're uh, angry because of what Gurdjieff titled the Sololunius. And, and he did that because it was Sol, the sun, making us all loony. And uh, uh, what's actually going on is an increase of energies are causing a reaction within humanity in the greater mass of it. And um, you'll see that there's a great many people that are reacting to this in a, in a um, uh, they're taking it as irritation into their system. And that may be individual karma. Uh, we can get into that at, a, at another level, but there's this big energy wave that's coming into the planets, all of the planets within our solar system. And it has to do with the, um, what's known as the solar flow uh, around our sun. Our sun is not a nuclear reactor. It has no nuclear explosions going on it anywhere. The surface of it is actually quite cold. 
And the reason that there is the heat and light coming off of it has to do with its position ahead of us in a big cone as, as we're all moving through space. Space is not a vacuum except behind the sun. And it's going through interstellar space, the space between suns. And in doing so, uh, it has to push its way through that causes the solar flow around it that creates the plasma on its surface uh the plasma is an electrical energy that we see as the uh what, what we've been told were nuclear explosions uh the uh flow the solar flow is what concerns us at the moment because as the flow goes around the sun the sun does things to alter it before that flow gets into the planets we're in the inner planets and uh, we're small compared to the bigger outer giant planets. And we can tell from the solar flow, for instance, that global warming is uh, caused by humans is absolute total BS. And, it, and it's because all the other planets are also suffering the same kind of effects as Earth. And as far as we know, there's nobody up there driving the SUVs. Plus, we now know that the... That Jupiter and Neptune and all the outer planets are reacting in a much more violent way than than our inner planets. And we should be quite thankful that we're not living in any of the outer planets relative to the solar flow. Now, the solar flow is um, the flow is increasing, which is actually going to cause us uh, to have an ice age because it means that the sun is weakening its impact on the solar flow, the cosmic rays that are coming around it, which are going to cause more clouds and shed more heat. We're going to lose light. We're going to go into an ice age. But it is also that same solar flow at all of the different energetic levels, and this is electrical energy, it's not just light, uh, it includes sound, and it includes x-rays, and uh, and all of the other kinds of energies you can think of, and, and millions we haven't even uh, decided names for yet, and those are all impacting us, and people, uh, uh, through their individual karma, and their individual uh, bodies are reacting uh, good, bad, or indifferently. And that's what's going on. That's why there's more turmoil at the moment and so on. And this is part of a 420-year pattern that if you um, – or cycle. And if you looked at this cycle, the last instance of it was the Maunder Minimum, minimum uh, a small ice age. And then if you'll also look at the uh, historical records of the Maunder Minimum, prior to that period of time, there was a huge amount of turmoil, uh, migrations and so on that um, uh, were um, brought nasty, brutal conflict around the world as we see now. And in many cases, we're seeing it in the sort of the same places. Wow. Wow. So you are saying that we're going to have an ice age. Correct. I, I've heard this time and time again, and I'm glad to hear that all the anger is just not brought by one man with Trump being elected, so I, I'm <laughs> delighted to hear that. So tell us, when is this ice age supposed to hit? Um, well, it's going to be how you, it's actually starting now. Uh, so it started last year, uh, 2015, uh, insofar as a particular metric, which is the solar irradiance, the annual total solar irradiance dropped precipitously uh, in that period of time. Carbon dioxide went up. Carbon dioxide is always a, a following indicator. It always rises during a brief, uh, in a brief burst during the cooling period when the rest of the planet is cooling. The carbon dioxide is given off and then it's reabsorbed by the oceans at that point. And so by... Uh, we have we have several different things that are affecting us as to the ice age. So by um, 2022, we will be firmly we will have been one year into the new solar minimum, 
And so this is the 11-year sunspot cycle. Now, we note that right now we're in a solar maximum. All of our planet is in a solar maximum, yet the sun levels are lower than they were at the last solar minimum. So our total solar irradiance is way down, and it is lower than the last solar uh, minimum, even though we're in a maximum. So we know right from there that we're already lowering the sun's irradiation, and we're, and we're cooling. Then we're going to go into this solar uh, other part of the solar cycle where we should have uh, the solar minimum and cooling. And this is that 22-year sunspot cycle that's uh, split in half, and we're going to be into the cooling cycle of it starting in 2022. On top of that, uh, we have another situation where uh, Earth's orbit is pretty circular behind the sun as we go through space. Right. But... Uh, every 400 years, these very slow-moving planets, Jupiter and uh, Saturn, uh, which usually are directly opposite each other with the sun in the middle relative to their, their, their rotations, they're going to be at a point where they're sort of close to each other around the sun. When they do that, they're going to cause the Earth's orbit to bulge out. In fact, it's already doing so. So in 2015, that bulge started creeping out a bit. By the time we get to 2024, uh, that bulge will be such that we will have added uh, something like 0 0.003 um, million miles to our orbit. Just enough in, in the bulge to cooperate with the minimum solar cycle. Now, minimum solar cycle aside, if the, if the sunspot cycle was at its maximum and, and just blazing, we would still be going into a, an ice age period of time because the bulge of our Earth is taking us away from the sun and it will reduce our so solar exposure by one-eighth uh, between now and uh, 2024. So we'll lose one-eighth of our solar exposure, and we weren't very maximally uh, uh, getting exposed anyway because the metric that they're using is 2014, which was right at the cusp of us going into this period. So we have those two elements going together, and then we should find out by 2028 if we have this longer 100,000-year cycle in there. So we have the... the 22-year cycle, the 420-year cycle with the planets, and there may also be a 120,000-year cycle that, that pulls us into an even deeper ice age. Um, now, the real effects are going to be felt in uh, food production before anything, because that's the most sensitive. So that's why I've been harping everybody should, you know, get greenhouses, you know, especially if you're in the northern hemisphere, grow food under glass. The reason that you need to do this is because the uh, effects of the ice age are going to be longer, deeper, colder winters less fall and less spring, and very brief, uh, probably quite intense uh, summers. Even though we're going to have solar irradiation down, the, the flow around the sun because the sun weakens actually means we get in a lot more energy, conversely. But it's not necessarily good energy because it's coming in in the form of cosmic uh, rays and other kinds of energy that cause changes in our environment without promoting plant growth. Oh, good. Okay, so we have got to go indoors with our um, uh, food production. So we're going to have longer winters, heavier winters, and so we, we've got to pay for the electricity to heat us, or are we just going to use fire? Well, no. Actually, the um, the data sets show that we're in a transition period, and if we're and I don't have because it's out far enough, I don't have data that takes us out in any kind of details uh, into the 2020s. But we're right at a at a 
juxtaposition uh, point here where if we don't uh, uh, face reality and deal with the developing ice age uh, and and face the weather and, and uh, planetary degradation, then the species is is facing a level of extinction. Not because of what we're doing, but because we would be uh, delusionary and not reacting to uh, the climate changes that are already causing food crises. So you'll note, for instance, that food is up, uh, veg, fresh vegetables are up five times in cost in Northern Europe this year because of the climate problems that destroyed the Southern um, European uh, vegetable crops. That may happen here at any time in the United States. We were lucky this year that we could send them some vegetables, but even so, you had uh, black markets running. You had you know heads of lettuce five times the cost, and this is just the start of it. So the expectation is that we'll see in an unaware population, you would see things like uh, the yellow horde, the Mongol horde that moved through uh, basically down Siberia, came out of Mongolia into the warmer southern regions because of the ice age conditions that were the, the climate conditions that forced them down. And so... We would react that same way if we don't think about it. We would um, react badly. Now, if you'll notice, uh, the Chinese have been preparing for this for a number of years, decades per, decades perhaps. They, you have lots and lots and lots of people, uh, especially in the um, uh, business world, that can only see just so far. I'm not saying they're stupid or anything like that. I'm just saying that their, their vision is limited. And so they see all these Chinese ghost cities as being a um, an example of um, uh, construction industry run wild that couldn't be reined in, right. but but if you look at what they're doing strategically, where these cities are being placed and so on, and the efforts that the Chinese are attempting to uh, do to terraform northwestern China, um, specifically northwestern China, because it's a key indicator, which I won't get into, but nonetheless, all these cities and so forth are are part of a larger design for large mass of their population to have to move south. Wow, and so and so you'd be foolish that. not to not to plan for that if you knew that was coming. And wow. so so this is a um uh a, an example of a mature social order. We don't live in a mature social order. We live in a social order that in the United States, the USA pop that's been run by very immature minds and uh, they are pedophilias, uh, pedof uh, pedophiles. The pedophilic mind by its very nature is extremely immature and is incapable of facing reality it is incapable of dealing with its own uh, in the male with its own testosterone and dealing with a view of reality as a uh, discrete and uh, as a as a uh, being of integrity now in integrity there's three components to that thought word and deed all go to the same point so people like me because i'm I have integrity. All, all of my thoughts are woo-woo. Everything I do is woo-woo, etc., right? Yeah, okay, so, so, um, uh, but pedophiles are not like that. They have to live the mask, and they have no integrity whatsoever, and that mindset does not allow them to structure anything, including our social order, uh, to face that reality. So if you put them in as the sociopaths that are supporting the psychopaths who don't care that humanity is going to uh, die or faces the big problem, then we get to the immature society that we live in, unlike the social order that we've got in China. And other countries are also coming 
coming to the same realization that it's not global warming we need to fear. It is, in fact, the Ice Age. Now, there's one other thing to say about this, okay? Never in human history, uh, never in, in Earth's history, let alone humans, never in Earth's history has there ever been a time where we flipped uh, into the the dire uh, forecast that has been uh, put out by the warmists, those people that have the paradigm of global warming. That forecast that they're putting out has never, ever occurred on this planet. And every single time we've come to the precipice of, of flipping into a Venus kind of a state, Earth always perpetually slips back into the uh, alternative, which is the cold period. And it reabsorbs all the carbon dioxide into the oceans and, and creates the methane. And there's all of these other effects that go on. So there's no reason to ever suppose that um, – we would ever flip into uh, the global warmest nightmare. And there's another aspect of that, uh, not only of the pedophilic, pedophilic uh, sociopaths and their masters, the psychopaths, been lying to us about all of the carbon data for years and all the weather data. We, we have actual um, sedimentary records now from China and from other countries that show that the planet has had 440 and greater parts per million carbon dioxide concentration in the atmosphere in the past, and it never went into Venus. That was, and, and we now know it's because carbon dioxide is a lagging indicator. If you take it as a leading indicator, it's a sign of um, poor science. Real fast, before uh, our time runs out, we're going to, in um, uh, February, March, April, and you've suggested the next five years, we're going to have some economic issues to deal with. Correct? Correct, yes. And, and th why is that? Uh, that's because the... Um, uh, U.S. No, well, yeah, at, that, at its core, that's exactly what it is. We've been occupied by a giant squid that has its tentacles all around the planet. The brain of the squid is a psychopath. All of its arms are banks. And the banks are, are not banks that actually deal in wealth. They deal in debt. They issue money based on debt. They further compound it by having a fractional uh, amount of debt. They need to issue huge amounts of money, currency, which is based on debt. And at some point, there's no value in that, and we've actually reached that point now. In 1913, uh, when they brought in the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve Bank, which is not part of the government, has no reserves and isn't a bank, uh, but is really a lobbying organization. When they brought that in, the U.S. dollar at that point had $1 worth of value. Now, we're lucky if you can actually squeeze a penny's worth of value out of the U.S. dollar, and they're about to hyperinflate the rest of it away. So it's currency death that we have to go through. The currency crises happen predictably throughout humanity. We're not immune. They've happened five times on in our uh, USA, and we've had to get rid of uh, currencies, the um, revolutionary currency, the confederate currency, the greenback currency, those don't exist. You can't spend those in this country. And as we see, it can just take a whim, and all of a sudden, as in India, you can't spend your currency. And when that kind of stuff happens here, we will have the kind of chaos that's in India at this point. And we're going to have to deal with the aftermath of it for years because the psychopaths and the, their minions, the sociopaths, they don't think very well, so and they're not thinking in our interests. And so we're going to have to you know, kick their butts, get them out of the way, and then muddle through for some kind of a solution because people are not planning for it. So can we do something like Iceland in which we 
kicked out and actually criminalize the banks? Sure, to- we could do that. It requires yeah. a something that may not exist in the um, uh, USA population, though, and that is a collective social will to do so. In, in Iceland, bear in mind, Iceland does not have a very diverse uh, genetic population. And so uh, that has a tendency to make their responses um, uh, very strong because once the idea settles in and is accepted, they all get it and they all move in the same direction. So once it was decided, there was not a 51-49 uh, kind of a split about about dealing with the banks. Uh, you notice that went immediately to like 93% wanted the banks criminalized. Right. We would need some level of political will to do that here. On the other hand, they're going to collapse no matter what. Uh, putting the banks away would allow us to rebuild uh, our economic uh, order very rapidly as opposed to just allowing the, them to collapse and having to sweep up the mess and then start to rebuild is going to take a lot of time. So if we had that will, yes, we could do that. We could just um, allow these too big to jail uh, to fail and then jail them and then off we go, clean up the mess and start over again. But, but, and it's, and it's, um, it's a personal choice. If you've ever had a nasty wound, like a burn, you can uh, keep putting ice on the on the burn for a long time and delay dealing with that pain. But basically, you're just making the pain spread out over a long period of time because you've got too much heat into your system and you've got to shed it. Uh, so uh, it's, in my way of thinking, just no ice, just take your pain, get it over with. And that's what we're facing. Uh, the options of you know dealing with the the pain gradually diminishing over time and and being there a long time or getting serious about it ripping the band-aid off getting in there let's cleanse the wound and start healing i i favor that approach i don't know if we've got the political will to do it though well um i'll, I'll tell you that's where i'm going to be meditating <laughs> <laughs> all right i, I mean like, i don't want to go through all the difficult times i'm of the age of no i i want to have fun now but I so appreciate what you're saying here. And I want to tell everybody that you have a report that you do monthly that projects out and it shows what is your predictions. I mean, our, it, our it, forecasts. Okay. Our That's forecasts. A, there, okay. Yeah, there's a difference because we're doing it off of data sets. It, it's not like I'm predicting this. It's like we're gathering it and we have a forecast based on developing trends in the language. Okay. And people... I mean, I have signed up. I'm getting them monthly, and they are brilliant, Uh, like 25 pages, and it's like incredible stuff. People, I want to send all of the listeners that if they're interested in finding out the economics of what's going to be happening rather shortly, what you should be doing, the uh, Ice Age, all of this stuff that we've been talking about today, they can go to Half Past human.com and they can sign up for this and um, receive it every single month Uh, and there's a minimum cost of $15 which is um, for all the work that you do on that report oh my goodness it's absolutely brilliant I strongly urge everyone to go do that to go get those reports you're going to be better prepared and, and that's, we, yeah, we, you will be, I was going to say, you will be just reading it. It'll expand your thinking. Yeah. Which is fabulous. Cliff, this has been brilliant. I can't thank you enough. You have definitely opened my eyes and I'm, I'm just, I'm delighted. And I hope that you'll come back and share sure. more because this is the, exactly the things that people have to realize right now, along with us being so powerful 
that yeah, we can make changes. We can make the difference, exactly, to ourselves, and, and then it spreads out from there. It's all it's an all an insidious plot. You know, it starts with one person and spreads. <laughs> <laughs> the good does. Exactly, evil, exactly. We want the good to prevail. Right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on today. Sure. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I'll be happy to come back. Right. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with another great show from Law of Attraction Talk Radio. If you'd like to comment on tonight's show, send an email to jules at loaradionetwork.com and have a great week.